back. I have a cold, but so it's harder for my voice to project, but if y'all can hear me, that's great, okay. Uh, well, let's just start with a brief introduction. My name's Christina Devlin, and I'll let you know a couple things about me. I am a wife. Um, my husband's name is Colin. We've been married for about six, we have been married a little over six years now. And we have two littles. We have a four-year-old girl named Ava Grace, and we have a 10-month-old baby boy named Remington Fox, which was my, yeah, I know. That was a really cool name, right? You can say that. Um, my husband picked it out, so. Um, we absolutely adore them. You will find me chasing them down seven days out of the week. I am a graduate from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I have my MA in Ministry to Women, and I am also a member of Emmanuel Baptist Church, where I currently am serving as the Women's Discipleship Coordinator, and that is where I have been now for quite a few years. So we're, we're going to dive into this. We're going to jump into it. Um, we're going to be walking through a passage that instructs us on the fundamentals of discipleship in the local church, and then we're going to be applying it practically in particular to women's discipleship. As we kick off, as women leaders, we know that COVID has affected women's discipleship. But we, re we really want to be careful with the words that we're choosing here, because COVID did not cause women to leave the church. Because COVID did not cause the intensification of the conversations of doubt. It did not cause this deconstruction of faith that we are seeing in our younger generations. COVID did not cause the teaching of shallow theology. COVID did not cause the disinterest in the church. COVID is not causing the lack of meaningful relationship in our churches. COVID simply magnified weaknesses that were already there that we already know now have existed. And as we begin, or we have begun to, to reconstruct our women's discipleship within our churches, we have to be wise and prudent, or we're going to fall into the same mistakes that we have made in the past. That's what we're addressing today. The speaker, he spoke of the process of purification and that's honestly what I'm asking us to do in this session. We're going to stop and we're going to consider how is it that we have lost so much in the past two years. This is, this is serious. What are women's discipleship ministries grounded in? Because if they're truly grounded in scripture with what we're going to see today, then what has happened in the past two years would not have happened at the rate that it did or would not have happened at all. We have seen women and families walk away from the church. And you know, and, and, oh, why am I already getting off my notes, y'all? We're going to be here a whole hour. <laughs> and we know how powerful women and mothers and wives are in their family units, right? So honestly, once the mother begins to get disinterested in church, the ramifications on the whole family unit are powerful. What happened? Sometimes women's discipleship ministry is viewed as the social calendar. It's a resource of events that we like to attend with our friends. Sometimes it's seen as more like a charity organization. It's the ministry that's putting on all the fundraisers. Um, there might be a knitting group or a pillow sewing group. We have a pillow sewing group at our church, right? And I love them dearly. Sometimes and it's what I believe to be the most popular, is it is the source of our feel-good comfort food where we meet in a study of some kind of study that's long enough to feel good about doing something religious, 
but it's short enough to keep anyone from truly knowing us. Did you hear what I said? We might offer a study that's long enough to make us feel like we are participating in something religious, but it's short enough, and after that hour, we are out of there, and we aren't building meaningful relationships. And this is what I call counterfeit discipleship. This has partly been what we have been about for way too long. We're seeing the ramifications of that now. If this is all we know of women's discipleship ministry, then it's no wonder that anxiety, depression, marital issues, family issues, and identity crises are raging war on the women in our churches. It's no wonder that in the midst of a pandemic, many women have drifted away in isolation. And even I can think of women that I haven't kept up with and I didn't do right by. In many ways, we are reaping the fruit of counterfeit discipleship, of what we have sown. Friends, I'm in this with you. We need a proactive approach in our churches that strengthens women up in the faith and the knowledge of their Lord and Savior so that when the storms of life come, and come they will, we know that. When they come, that women will stand and not falter. That women, their feet will be firmly planted in God's word and their eyes will be set on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith, who will see them through till the very end. This is what women's discipleship does. It's women living in biblical community with one another, spurring one another on to fight the good fight. This is what we are to be after. More events in and of themselves are not the foundation of women's ministry. Books, meetings, conferences, big ideas, they're all good and they are helpful things, but they are not the best thing and we have relied on them for far too long. And it shows. What gives us our foundation? Word of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is profitable for the discipleship in our churches. All scripture is profitable for the discipleship of our women. But we have outsourced discipleship. We have gotten away from scripture being our foundation. What does it say about discipleship for training in righteousness that the man of God, and excuse my little tweak here, that the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work, every good work including going through a pandemic. We had the tools. We have the tools. We are without excuse. So this is where we start. We start in the infallible, trustworthy, and errant word of God. So I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't have a strategy of growing numbers in your churches. I don't have a strategy for every single woman to attend your Bible study. Hey, if you know that secret, let me know. Okay? But we, what we do have 
is the equipping for discipleship and the training in righteousness. This is where we start. If you have your Bibles, will you turn to Titus 2? Now, I should go ahead and let you know we're going to look at Titus 2 with what I call a 30,000-foot approach. Okay? There is so much you can unpack. I mean, really, you could spend a whole, like, six-week study on just Titus 2. And we're not going to do it justice. Please know that. We're going to give it what I call a 30,000-foot view. But take the time to go the 30-foot view. Because it is amazing. We'll be in Titus 2, and I'm just going to open us up in a word of prayer. We are opening the word of God. I just, we have to pause and do that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, God. And right now, we need to have conversation, Father, about what we need to do better. But not for our name's sake, Lord, but to your name be the glory, God. Your women, your kingdom, your gospel truth, Father. That we pray, God, that you will teach us to bring to forbearance in one another's life. God, I know how much you have changed my life. And everyone in this room can attest to how you transform lives. God, help us to communicate that. Teach us, Lord, teach us how you call us to disciple. That we may be women firmly planted. Yielding our fruit in season, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Titus 2, there are six principles that are fundamental to women's discipleship in the local church. Y'all, is it getting hot? I can open the door. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Whoever edits this recording, just do what you got to do. <laughs> All right, I can do this. There are six principles that are fundamental to women's discipleship in the local church. To set the stage, Titus is a letter from the Apostle Paul written to a young pastor named Titus. There you go. Come on, I gave you your win for the day. Paul often traveled with companions, other pastors, teachers, and missionaries. And at the end of his visit on the island of Crete, he left Titus. Paul exhorts Titus to put in order the churches on this island. And then he begins to give some instruction of how to do that. And he starts with establishing godly leadership. He calls on Titus to appoint elders in all the area churches. He gives their qualifications. And immediately following that, he rebukes a false teaching that is going on. And he specifically calls out those who profess to know God, but deny him with their actions. Oh, He rebukes people who profess to know God, but are denying them denying him with their actions. And then this will lead us up to Titus 2. And I'm going to jump around a little bit for time's sake. But keep up with me if you can. I'll try to be clear. Titus 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Then we're going to go down to verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Fundamental principle, true, number one, if you're taking notes, there's six of them. <laughs> Fundamental principle number one is true discipleship teaches right living in accordance with sound doctrine. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. In the Greek, the word here for teach is to speak. We have to verbalize it. You'll hear often in women's ministry, oh, just love. Just love them like Jesus. Love them till they come to know. We have to speak the truth with our mouths. You have to speak the gospel. We have to speak sound doctrine. Do not shy away. Speak those things that align with the truth. Remember, Paul had just finished rebuking those who said they know God, but then they deny them him with their works. And then in contrast, he exhorts Titus and then teachers of the word to teach others how to practically live out the truth that they are hearing. It's not enough to just say we know the truth. It has to be applied. And if true discipleship teaches right living in accordance with sound doctrine, what is also implied here, that sound doctrine is taught. Mm, I don't have enough time to cover all this. Hear me, ladies. But the two have to go hand in hand. If not then we have methods of counter-discipleship. If we do not hold to both sound doctrine and teaching of right living, then we are holding to methods of counterfeit discipleship. And I will explain. If we teach right living without sound doctrine, I'll go slower. If we teach right living without sound doctrine, we are simply teaching a high moralism that is devoid of Jesus Christ. If we teach right living without sound doctrine, then we are simply teaching a high moralism that is devoid of Jesus Christ. If we teach sound doctrine without teaching right living, then we fail to teach the radical transformation of death to life. That only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. We teach knowledge then apart from godliness, and this provides a false sense of salvation. Life and death is at stake, eternal life and death. Remember what James says. Do not be merely a hearer of the word, but a doer. And if anyone thinks that he is religious and he does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. In women's ministry, how often do we use the words repentance? How often do we use the words submission, lordship, and obedience? How often do we use these words even in our relate close relationships with other women? Do we have the mentality of leaving the teaching to the pastor? You know what your pastor would love? is if you were equipped with sound doctrine and you spoke up and you spoke up with sound doctrine and you didn't leave it all to him. This would be a sign of a healthy church. 
Do we share Bible verses regularly but talk little of what God has been convicting in us lately? I'll text out a Bible verse all day long. But am I open enough to tell women where God has been convicting me in his word? Fundamental principle number one, true discipleship teaches right living in accordance with sound doctrine. Fundamental principle number two, discipleship, true discipleship necessitates intergenerational relationships. I really tried somehow to not use the word necessitate, (laughs) but I couldn't do it. Paul doesn't cut corners. Verse three, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Remember, this is a 30,000 foot view and there's so much in there to unpack. And I wish we could, right? But what we do need to see from our 30,000 foot view is that Paul exhorts the older to the younger generation. He exhorts the older to the younger generation of women. And he does not make any exceptions. Discipleship necessitates intergenerational relationships. Older women teach the younger women. There's no hidden meanings. We can't talk our way out of this one. No, he specifically calls on each generation to be interacting with one another. And for the older women who are more mature in the faith, who have walked the roads that the younger women are walking, he wants them to pour their lives into them, to teach them what does it mean to live a godly life in view of sound doctrine. How does, my, how does the sound doctrine that I am taking in, how does that apply out practically? Because what good is it if I don't, Practice and work this out in my life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The early church didn't have different meeting times for each generation. Their homes, weren't in, their homes were intergenerational with whole family units living together. Think about this. Grandmother, mother, daughter. But in our modernized American thinking, even we read this and it just kind of gives us pause. Like That's kind of odd. With no exceptions. But when this letter was read out loud to the church in Crete, there was nothing strange about it. They even had what we call, they were called household codes. And they were these codes that people would, would live by. They were these known um, normal ways of how a home was to interact with each other, how each member in the home was to function. And it was, known, it was a known thing and they were called the household codes. So Paul takes those. Excuse me. Paul takes those. And he says, this is how we are to live in biblical community with one another. Nothing strange about it. Now this passage does not exclude younger women from being able to exemplify or teach, right? No. First Timothy 4.12, Paul encourages Timothy to not let anyone look down on him for his youth, but to set an example, right? And then I'm reminded by the example that Paul set in his relationships with Barnabas and Titus. Barnabas being the older brother that discipled him. And then uh, Paul 
turning around and the discipling not only Titus but Timothy and many others. In women's ministry, are we constantly planning events and studies based off of age groups? And if my church doesn't currently have an older, younger demographic, am I earnestly praying that God will bring them? In our local church, do we see the younger generation at funerals? And do we see the older generation at baby showers? Am I looking for ways to build bridges and relationships with women older and younger than me? And gut check here, if I shrug this off, do I know that I'm telling God that my way is better than his? Discipleship necessitates intergenerational relationships. Fundamental principle number three. Discipleship calls for godly living. Can you all hear me in the back okay? Okay. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or gossips or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. The call for godly living is on every single generation. We don't age out. But sometimes we hit retirement and we think it's time to coast. And I'm here to tell you, we need you. The call for godly living is on every generation. But at different stages of life, the war on the flesh rages on differently. And Paul knew this. So we have to ask ourselves some questions. Do we go to battle in our hearts and minds to be these kind of godly women? It would do us good if on a regular basis we read through these characteristics of godly women instead of getting to it once a month when we go into the book of Titus. Do we live transparently enough to exhort one another in godly living Because what that means is if we're lovingly exhorting a sister to walk in godliness, that includes telling her when she's not walking in godliness. This is when discipleship gets hard. This is when it gets really nitty gritty and where we have to choose it over and over and over again. It's uncomfortable and certainly in our cultural environment of superior individualism where no one can tell you what to do. It is hard, but did you hear what's at stake? We don't want to miss this. It's at the end of verse 5 that the word of God may not be reviled. In the Greek, the word for, revi for reviled means blasphemed that the word of God may not be blasphemed. When was the last time we stopped to think about how our lives can blaspheme the word of God? Why would we want to humble ourselves before one another in a proximity where we can see each other's sins and failures? Because the world is watching us. 
They want to see what we actually believe. And the evidence for this is in our actions. So I'm going to give you a problem. You may have heard of it before. Oh, but it's so good. You write this in your notes. Stated belief. Our stated belief plus actual practice equals our actual belief. I'll say it again. Our stated belief plus actual practice equals our actual belief. If we are truly about making name, making known the name of Jesus, then Lord, I will deny my comforts that I may grow more and more into the image of your son because this world needs to see Jesus, not Christina. And they are looking at what I actually believe. What I live out matters. Discipleship calls for godly living that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Do we call for that in our women's discipleship ministries? This is true discipleship. Fundamental principle number four. Discipleship is motivated by the gospel. We're down at verse 11 now. Chapter 2 of Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Paul just spent nine verses teaching us on what discipleship looks like practically. He poured over relationships between older and younger men. He poured over the relationships between older and younger women. And, and then he took the time to explain the relationships between bond servants and masters. And now we get to this verse. And what does he say is the why? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. God's unfathomable mercy has now been demonstrated through the coming of his own son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price that I could never pay, to satisfy, to satisfy God's own wrath. His plan to bring his people to salvation has come. I know you know this, but when is the last time that we were overwhelmed by this? Maybe we lack passion for true discipleship because we don't have any motivation. It's his gospel that should motivate us to deny ourselves, to renounce the ungodliness that our own flesh reeks of, and to put to death worldly desires, and to do so every moment of every day, and to call each other to it. And not in an arrogant kind of way, but in a way that says, hey, follow me as I try to follow Christ. Let's do this together. Fight the good fight of faith. Do it with me. Because he died for us. He gave us the gift of life when we were children of wrath, wanting nothing to do with him. When I think on who I was before the transforming work of Christ in my life, it makes me fall more and more in love with him. And when you love someone, you're willing to do things for them, right? My husband... When I go away and I teach, he watches our two children who he loves dearly, right? But he is spending 24-7 with them. 
Why does he do it? Because he loves me. Because he loves the Lord. Right? There is no better gift. The world has nothing to offer apart from eternal death. When was the last time the reality of what happened at the cross overwhelmed you? And if this is not something we are thinking on on a regular basis, then our women's discipleship will lack the passion and motivation that it needs. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ that is forevermore changing my life, I will live in accountability with a group of godly believers. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will let godly women who love the Lord and love us see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will ask them to encourage us and to lovingly help us when we get it right. No, let me re-say that. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will ask them to encourage us and then to lovingly help us get it right when we get it wrong. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will have the hard conversations to help a sister walk in godliness. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will use time out of our week, not just on Sundays, to be in discipleship community. We have gotten in a rut where it seems like, if I go to church two times a week, I have met my quota. And in fact, if something else comes in to the schedule that's new, there's this, there's this back thought that, oh, well, this, well, then I don't have to go on this other time that I normally do. This is too much. No. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will use our time out of our week, not just on Sundays, to be in discipleship community. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and instructing us. Discipleship is motivated by the gospel. And as leaders, I know, I know sometimes it gets hard. And there are days where you're wondering the whys. Why am I still in this? Why am I doing this? We go back to the gospel. We go back to the gospel. What has God called us to do? We go back to the gospel. What has he done for us? Discipleship is motivated by the gospel. Fundamental principle number five. Discipleship, true discipleship, is earnest for Christ's return, and it shows. True discipleship is earnest for Christ's return, and it shows. Verse 13, I'm going to back up, actually, starting at the full sentence in verse 12. Nope, full sentence starts in verse 11. Don't know why my notes say that. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you ask a believer, what is the gospel? Typically, the response that we will hear is something like, Jesus came, he was born of Mary, a virgin, he lived a perfect life that I could never live. He died on the cross for my sins, and then he was uh, raised from the grave in three days, and he ascended into heaven. And while that is true, that is incomplete. That is good, 
but something is missing. What is missing? That Jesus is coming back again. If I live every day of my life with anticipation for Christ's return, what would be my attitude toward my daily sins? And if we lived in biblical community of life together, what would be our collective attitude toward our collective sins in our local churches? Would we not seek to put to death that which is ungodly with all the more urgency? If I was truly aware of Jesus' imminent return, how would that change the course of my day? So in women's discipleship, are we speaking of Christ's return with one another? And how are we modeling that kind of anticipation before our families? You know the early church thought. They truly believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And you can read of their urgency to go and make disciples all over the book of Acts. And then you can read the posture of Paul's heart as he waged war against his own flesh and sin in Romans 7. And you think, why can I not be that passionate? Because are you waiting in expectancy for Jesus to return? Discipleship is earnest. True discipleship is earnest for Christ's return, and it shows. It's lived out. Something that truly, we truly believe in. Fundamental principle number six. Discipleship revels and who God is spurring us on for good works. Discipleship revels in who God is spurring us on for good works. Verse 14. I'm going to back up to verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works discipleship true discipleship revels in who god is and what he has done and it spurs us on for good works theology is simply a word for the study of god who he is what he is like we must not shy away from sound theology and women's ministry we must not shy away we can study the attributes of God. We can know more and more about who Christ is. This is not beyond us. This is not past us. And for decades, women's ministry believed that. At least that was what they reflected. Because the more we learn of who God is, the more we learn who we are not. And the more we learn who we are not, the more we realize our complete and desperate need for him. And the more we realize our complete and desperate need for the Lord, the more we humble our hearts to deny ourselves, to live in biblical community, to take up our cross, and to follow him. We do need good, sound theology in women's ministry. We need to know who God is. Discipleship revels. It finds joy in knowing who God is and growing in that knowledge as it conforms us more and more into godliness. Ladies, I understand I went to seminary, but let me tell you, you can do it too. You can learn about who God is without going to seminary. And I don't know everything. 
That's, that is the incredible part too, right? Like we are growing in this. <clears throat> we are growing in our walk with Christ. We are growing constantly in our knowledge of who he is. In women's discipleship ministry, are we intentional, intentional about teaching one another more about God? It's that simple. You don't even have to, we don't even have to use the word theology. In women's discipleship ministry, are we intentional about teaching one another more about God? I'll give you these fundamental principles again. Principle number one, true discipleship teaches right living in accordance with sound doctrine. Principle number two, discipleship necessitates intergenerational relationships. Principle number three, discipleship calls for godly living. Principle number four, discipleship is motivated by the gospel. Principle number five, discipleship is earnest for Christ's return and it shows. Principle number six, discipleship revels in theology, spurring us on for good works. And I know we looked at Titus at a 30,000-foot view. But when we go this year in 2022, when we begin to plan events, when we get, begin to plan the Bible studies, let's first start at the fundamentals. What are we about? Are we going to be about true discipleship? Or do we want to continue the ways that have characteristics of counterfeit discipleship? Because we are now reaping some of those consequences. No. Let's be women who are about the fundamentals of true discipleship. And then let's see what God does. Let everything you do this year be undergirded by these six fundamental principles in women's ministry. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for those in here, Lord, and their patience and the heat and uh, and the long day, Lord. God, I I just pray that this was edifying. Um, I know it was edifying to me as I studied, Lord. And I just pray that we would go out here hearing sound teaching, Lord, by your grace. Hearing sound teaching and then responding to it as leaders, personally in our lives where application and conviction is needed, Lord, and also corporately in our local church bodies, God, as we seek to lead women to know you more, to love you more, to make disciples of you that are firmly planted in streams of water, Lord, yielding their fruit in season. God, I thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Question. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I was not expecting men to be in here tonight. Yeah, no, it's great. No, no, great questions. Honest to goodness, if you don't want to look like the person coming in with all the answers and the guy that's going to tell